This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is stand-up comedian, TV host and former policeman Andrew Barney Barnett. I caught up with Barney in his hometown of Sydney. We talked about his time in the force, why he got into stand-up comedy and what it's like hosting a weekly comedy sports show. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Andrew Barney Barnett, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? I'm very well, mate. Thank you for having me. Oh, no worries at all. Thanks for joining me here in the house of fellow comedian Luke Heggie. We're sitting in Coogee, yes. Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. Lovely part of the world. Beautiful part of the world. Uh, you live in Sydney. Were you a Sydney boy through and through? No, actually. we uh, When I was a kid, we moved around a little bit. We uh, When I was first born, I was born... We Parents lived out in the Blue Mountains, but then by the time I was, I think, I must have been two, we moved yep. to Norfolk Island for three years. Is that right? Yeah. Lived well, over my, what, what took you out there? My old man's a teacher, so ah, was right. he's retired now. Yeah. But yeah, so he, when he applied to go to Norfolk, there was something like 1,100 teachers applied for the yeah. same job. And he um, he said that on the form, his, uh, his kids' ages were one, two, and three. And he always thinks they just took pity on him. Basically, because he had such young kids, right. so yeah, we spent. Uh, I spent my preschool years just on a beach on Norfolk Island. Mostly. <laughs> it was excellent. That is lovely. And then yeah, and after that, yeah, we we moved to a place called Corowa, which is west of Albury. Mm. Uh, and I was there until I finished year ten, yeah. and then uh, sixteen we moved to Newcastle. Right, so is Co- Corowa on the? It's on the New South Wales or the Victoria side? It's on the New South Wales ja- side, yeah. but it might as well. Like, that whole area. Like, you're in New South Wales, but you're, you're not. You're in Victoria, yeah. essentially. Like, because there's the, all your TV, all your radio, everything's Victorian. Oh, every, right. I think yeah. most of the people down there see themselves mostly as Victorian. Yeah, and is AFL bigger there? Than- oh, yeah, way bigger. Mm. There was... Uh, I think we had a rugby league team, but it wasn't... 
big. Like the famously, the cops used to turn up if they needed to make an arrest. They knew some of the blokes had turned up to play rugby league. So <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't the main sport down yeah. there. Aussie rules dominates that yeah. area like massively, or it did when I was growing up. Anyway, right. we didn't get any. We basically didn't get rugby league on TV. Like right. you got the State of Origin games. And the grand final, essentially. Well, the so, best, the yeah. best, the best games. Exactly. So we loved it, <laughs> but we didn't we didn't sit through it round by round just because you didn't get access to it. Yeah, and then Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle. Sixteen. Right. Yeah. How'd you find that moving from Corowa, which is pretty? We're probably only talking five or six thousand. Five thousand. Yeah, five, five thousand, and a yeah. half. I think. Um, yeah, to Newcastle. Yeah, it was a bit different. It was better <laughs> weather. Like yeah, winters yeah. were a bit easier. I spent year eleven. I think I wore shorts the whole year. Yeah. Um, and just because it didn't really get this cold <laughs> or anything, but um, yeah, it was different. It was good. I I enjoyed it. It was. I think it was a good time to move because I like. Year 11 and 12, I still had time to make mates in mm. that very organic high school sort of a way. Mm. And then, uh, and then, yeah. Were you a, a, a good student? Were you, were you studying hard uh, 16 years of age or were you a bit into the party and oh, catching up with the boys side not of things? A proper partier or anything like that in any real way. But I, I, I was probably lazy, yeah. uh, if anything. But I did all right at school, but I was lazy. Right. Like I should have probably – like year 10 I did fine, but year 11 and 12 I probably should have done better. I was <laughs> much more into the socialising. I think a lot of, peop- lot of people have that same – yeah, the, the parties and things just sort of take the yeah. front seat and the back seat is with the uh, all the study. Yeah, I loved an extracurricular too. So if there was – like if I could play sport for a team or if I could, you know, do anything to get me out of <laughs> going to regular classes, I would. Um now, 2019, you uh, work on a Foxtel comedy rugby league and cricket shows. Yes. Um, did you like both those sports uh, as a kid? Yeah. Like I said, rugby league, we didn't get a lot of access to. Of course, but yeah. my brother and I, State of Origin was like – and I try and explain this to people. Like a lot of hardcore rugby league fans feel that the State of Origin series like disrupts the season and oh, mm. the origin period, we need to do something about it. But I try to explain to them that was – I love Origin so much because that was the only rugby league we got and we <laughs> yeah. knew it and it was so good all the time. I just And it was the days of like the Chief, Paul Harrigan, yeah. and it was just good times like mm. watching those games. I, yeah, I remember being a kid when those – it's still big now. Origin is obviously big, probably oh. even bigger than it was then globally, but – I, I used to be so excited. It was like Christmas every time an Origin would exactly. come around. And you'd, we used to do the We Will Rock You, like stomp our feet on the bus on an Origin, because that was the theme yes. song there one year, and everybody would get into it. At school, that you'd be dressed in your maroons or blues, Java. I'm New South Wales country, so it was mainly blues. And there was just a, a buzz around the town, like this, you know, every, everybody got into it. And Ylangas and Meningas and Daly and Stuart, that was that. I reckon that was when Origin was as its best in those yeah. ninety to sort of it, it makes ninety five. Makes you wonder if that's just your age and you're just so invested <laughs> yeah. in it, yeah. or whether it was really as as good as we remember it. But I, yeah. same thing. But the interestingly, because we were right on the Victorian border, the Victorians all went for Queensland. They because it's that real hate New South Wales. That's things. interesting. I, I thought that always come about in the last sort of decade because or fifteen years because of the storm and they had so many Queensland players, but. 
It's interesting that even yeah, back no, then they even hated... Even back then, it was all... And, like, because everyone there, there was like, you know, you go to... If you go for holidays, you go up the Gold Coast. Queensland's so... Everyone <laughs> yeah. talked about how good Queensland was. People didn't really think of going to Sydney or rated no. Sydney and all. Yeah. And it was just... And it was that country thing, too. If Sydney's such a big, inaccessible city in some ways. Like, for, for a lot of those... For a lot of country people, they're just like, Sydney, mate, nah. No, no <laughs> dice. Like, it's yeah. just too not manageable. So... <laughs> What about uh, post school? Uh, you did you stay in Newcastle for very long? No, I was there. What did I do? I f- basically did nine months of an arts degree. Okay. Um, I was looking to do arts communications. I wanted to get into the whole, basically, you know, the media side of things. Mm. Um, but I remember I was sitting in a subject called media culture and society, <laughs> uh, which our lecturer used to drink water out of a wine glass at the front. So you can. <laughs> You guess how how down to earth this subject was. And um, I remember looking, I was in the morning lecture and there was 250 kids in that lecture that would go to that lecture and then there was the same lecture in the afternoon, another 250 kids, all doing these same subjects because they wanted to do that same course. And I just remember looking around just going, oh, there's not going to be this amount of jobs at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. There's not 500 new jobs in, you know, the sort of fun stuff like radio and TV yeah. and all the fun stuff you want to do. <laughs> and so I just thought, I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, what a, like I too, having grown up fairly suburban, fairly, you know, um, sheltered sort of a life, mm. I was like, I haven't really got any interesting life experience. I haven't, even if I did, you know, get on any of those things, I haven't got anything to say because I haven't done anything. Mm. So I just thought, oh, I'll need to go get some life experience. And um, so I dropped out of uni and uh, I was trying to think about a way I could go and just, where can I just see stuff that most people can't see? And uh, I had a couple of uncles that were in the cops. Yeah. And I just went, oh, they've got interesting stories. I might check that out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, um, basically 19 years of age, joined up, joined up the cops for a few years. Yeah, right. So how do you go about as a 19 year old? Because is it, is it all done out of Goulburn for New South Wales Police? It is. Is it's changed like it's changed a bunch of times over the years, but yeah, Goldman is the is the where the academy is, mm. but it's sort of run with Charles Sturt University as well. Okay, so when I did it, it was basically a twelve month course. You do three fourteen week periods with breaks in between, and so you'd be down in Goldman for the first fourteen weeks, and then you had to do community placements mm-hmm. and uh, a placement at a basically at a police station where you spend two weeks just going around, you know, as the, just following the cops around, yeah. basically. Um, and then you'd go back to, to Golden for your final 14 weeks. And after mm. that, you'd you'd basically come out, you'd be a probation, you'd be in your probation for 12 months. While you're on that, you'd have subjects you had to study and, you know, submit assignments and that for mm. uh, for the uni thing. And then at the end of it, you get yourself, I think I got a an advanced diploma um, at yeah. the end of that. So, okay. Yeah. So when you go in, when you joined at 19 and you say, oh, I want to join the police force, do you pick where in the police for- force you want to end up or does that come later? Say you wanted to be detective or... No, nah, that all, that that all, all comes, comes later. Yeah, right. everyone. So everyone starts, you just... At a base, out, yeah. Yeah, you're in a station and you're out on the on the truck, as they call it, driving yeah. around, just responding to things and yeah. sort of... I was 20 by the time I graduated. So at 20, you're just sort of going around seeing what... Seeing yeah. what the world's got to throw at the cops. <laughs> it was it was an interesting time. It was it was a bit of fun, but yeah, um, yeah it was interesting. So in the probation year, are you are you, are you out on the beat? So yeah. You, so you're yeah, straight yeah. out there, and they just send you out with someone more senior to. 
Yep, you've got you. So you start off with like you've got a buddy. So you, there's three of you in the truck, and you're basically the, uh, you know, like the, the, yeah, they don't trust you to do a lot on your own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, by the end of the twelve months, or by the end of the three months, you're going out just with the senior person. Yeah. And then by the end of the twelve months, you, you're essentially the senior person on the truck oh, a lot nice. of the time. So you're out there with depending where you're stationed. Like mm. I was, um, I was around city areas which were very junior mm. when I went through. So a lot of inexperience. So this of. is Sydney in the city. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting because you'd, you'd think you'd see the most crazy things in the city of Sydney as opposed to somewhere in a country town. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I never really worked country towns or anything, but I think from what I've, from all the people I know that have worked both, it's all the same stuff at just different pace of. So you might, mm. in 12 months, you might see a few different things, a bunch of different, range of different things. The same stuff happens in, you know, country towns, but mm. it just might Smallest happen town. over a three year period. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just. But the the flip side of that is is some of the towns when you know they've got two or three cops, then you're doing everything. Whereas yeah, yeah. you know a whole bunch of stuff can happen. When I started, we were on twelve hour shifts, so you'd work two days, two nights. You might have five, six days off. So it's, it's pretty bad. easy to miss a lot mm. of big stuff. Yeah, it was a great lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> like I literally just you know work for work my two days, two nights, have a few days off, and. You know, as a twenty-year-old, all my mates are at uni and stuff. They got no money. I, I'm getting paid. I'm having a good time. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting interesting period. Uh, at what stage do you learn how to fire a gun? Uh, the academy, right? Yeah. Is that is that is that a fun part of it? Um, yeah, it's. I don't like. Did you have I a good? Did you have a good eye? Were you hitting the target straight away? Hitting your KPIs? No, on the well, target sheet. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I never failed. Uh, a shoot, but I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was good at it. Mm. it's is not it something the same as the movies where it's the like a, a the outline of a body, shoulders, yep. head with yeah, with a gun in the hand pointing at you. Yeah. So, oh, really? Yes. So yeah, that okay. Point. So you're not just not just anyone. <laughs> um, yeah. So just be an outline, and there's there's a thermometer, sort of an almost a thermometer shape in the middle, which yeah, is yeah, within the within the target. I mean, yeah. it's interesting. Like a lot of people. Like I'm not a big gun person, but mm. um, it's like anything. It's an interesting, like just the discipline and learning how to do use anything. Mm. Um, it is an interesting sort of a field. Mm. Some people are right into it, like in terms yeah. of just the technical, <laughs> yeah. how to do it, and the breathing, and there's all sorts of stuff. You really, can, breathing is I can see oh, breathing's be, massive for it. When you, uh, all the time, anytime you're using it because of the calmness yeah. under pressure, right? Yeah, it's to do with control. But they, I mean, they. The, the irony being, if you're actually using, your, you know, uh, if you have to get a gun out, it's not a calm. No. Uh, let's just breathe easily mm. here. It's it's pretty terrifying. Uh, is it quite powerful, the gun? Like, does it really push back in your hand when it fires? Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really thought about this stuff. It's, it's funny. I, I think if I learnt at all now it'd strike me as a lot more odd but you know right. when you go down at 19 and 20 yeah, you're yeah. just like whatever the world's you're just like oh yeah this is this yeah. is normal but like, you haven't worked a baseline of normal yet so whatever yeah. you're experiencing seems normal uh in your time you you're not in the in the force anymore no. but uh in your time did you have any incidences that were pretty hairy that you can talk about it's always weird talking about this sort of stuff because yeah. I, I don't find it interesting at all. Um, <laughs> a lot of other people find it fascinating. 
Um, it's it's always interesting when comedians find out that I was in the cops, and mm. it's like, oh, there's I knew there was a reason I didn't like. You. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I said to you when I when I first met you, maybe like five or six years ago, uh, I was surprised. I just you just you just didn't strike me the way you, you your stage presence and. Um, I've met police officers before. I know a couple of mates that are in, and they're just a, mo- a lot more serious than they were at school from being in that. And same with the army; it's just got that sort of discipline. And I'm sure I still enjoy a laugh, but just something about them—they're just a bit more serious. And you just didn't seem to have that. that yeah, side. I, there's serious parts of it, very yeah. serious parts. But there's also like some of the funniest, weirdest stuff you'll hear. Some of the funniest, darkest stories, like uh, cops just. Playing practical jokes, right. on each other. it's a different, it's a different sort of a world. But yeah. yeah, it's like anything. There's people who are very serious and take it very seriously. Yeah, and there's people who take it not seriously at all. And mm. there's people who are really good at their job. And there's people who are terrible at their job. <laughs> and you know, the, the greatest thing is when you you'd meet people and they'd be like, um, "Oh, you're 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 oh, you're a cop." Um, why did this cop who pulled me over? It's like, I don't know. Some people are assholes. I just <laughs> yeah. I can't be responsible for everyone. everyone yeah. I know um, most people, when you, you finish high school and you're sort of told you've got to pick your career and um, you've got to study and uh, I know when I was 19 I became, I did a, a chef, like a cooking course to become a chef and by the time I was 25 I hated it, you know, I'd done yeah. it for six years. Was there times in those first five years of that police force where, because you've joined at 19, it's quite a young decision to make where you thought, oh, maybe this isn't for me? Yeah, probably. Early on, you just sort of taken everything in. Mm. Um, it wasn't till I was probably a bit older, and I was sort of like looking around, going, "Well, do I really want to be doing this mm. when I'm fifty? Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's when I think I realised at one point, it's like, okay, I need a plan to get out and do something different because it was all in terms of um, it. It was all a bit serious at mm. times, and there is something about like you can't get away from the fact that a lot of people do have like. They have preconceived ideas about the cops and yes, what they're yeah, like, and absolutely. sort of you end up having to deal with people's their own baggage mm. about how they feel about cops in general. When sometimes when you meet them, and, just, and that becomes tiring. Mm. Also, there's something when you're working GDs and that sort of stuff. No one ever calls the cops for a good reason. So like, what's GDs? General duties, right? Yeah. So when you're working, like you know, when you're responding, like no one's. The cops don't get to go around and tell lotto winners they've won. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's never, <laughs> it's never good news. Like you think yourself, the cops dead not lotto winners the- they've won. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, oh, you didn't like your son. Well, have yeah. I got some good news for you? <laughs> yeah, right. But that's yeah. So it's never mm. that that sort of can can get to you. Yeah. At times, so and that's what I just realised I didn't want to have to. I didn't want that to be the only thing in my life. Mm. I really enjoyed my time doing it and like it was a great experience but also i didn't want that to be the only thing i did or yes, the only yeah. thing that you know who how i identified myself and the other thing was you look around and sometimes you'd be working with blokes that had sort of they just got bitter mm. which is a nightmare mm. like you don't i never wanted to be that guy because it is it is one of those jobs where if you've got the shits, you can give it to other people. Mm, can right. give the shits to everyone you come okay. in contact with, essentially. So, yeah. and you just—I never wanted to go down that path of being bitter and mm. resentful. Yeah. So I just—I realised I needed to find something else. Yeah, and that's something else. Age twenty-eight. Yeah, you, ha- you have a go at 
stand-up, stand-up comedy. comedy. So where, where was your interest in stand-up? Where, did you have an interest from a young age? Yeah, I always loved stand-up. It was mm. another one of those things, the, um, the, uh, the Melbourne gala that they mm. used to televise once a year. That was my other favourite thing yeah. besides State of Origin. Sounds like we watched very similar things when we were younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably had the same four channels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we, but yeah, we, um, so I, I just I always liked it. I never thought I'd be able to do it. And then we were down. I was actually working in the cops. I was working on a. Um, I was working at Counterterrorism at the time, and we were down on a job in Melbourne, and the festival was on, and so we'd work all day, and then we'd um, we were staying um, at a at a place that was nearby to uh, the Exford Hotel, and so we'd go have dinner in Chinatown. Like we'd knock off work about eight eight thirty, go have dinner in Chinatown, have a few beers, and then watch the late night comedy show. Huh? Right. Um, at the Exford, yeah. and then go to bed, get up, fight terror all day, and then uh, <laughs> not as glamorous as it sounds, to be honest. Um, but um, and we yeah we go to work and then come do the same thing. And so with doing that, I realised all of a sudden, and then it sounds so obvious, but I'd never really thought about. It. And I was like, oh, these blokes aren't doing new material every night, like they've. Mm. And so I just went, you know what? I think I could get five minutes together that I just want to do it. I want to see what it's like, see if I can do it. Um, so I um. Basically, I made a bet with my cousin that I'd do it, um, and then uh, and then I uh, yeah booked in at the mic in hand. In oh yeah, Sydney. yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, which is actually what's the date? Almost in four days, it'll be ten years since I uh, did my first gig there. Is that right? Yeah, that's cool. And then I uh, yeah, by the time did- this comes out, it'll almost be ten years on the dot. I reckon. You reckon? How good's that? Then yeah, I think it's the nineteenth of November was my first. Oh, lovely! First ever gig, I did How fitting at the mic in hand, and then, uh, and then, yeah, it's uh, it went well enough that I thought oh, I might try and do another gig. Yeah, and uh, yeah, awesome raw comedy after that. And you had a bit of success there. You went um, New but South Wales State Final, was it? I did, where I ran into a bloke called Luke Heggie, <laughs> uh, who was head and shoulders above the rest. Right, of us, right from the start, he was. It shit me so hard. Mm. Um, well, if you want payback, we're in his house. You can go shit on his bed or something. Beautiful. I'll, uh, yeah. I won't say a thing. Golden. Yeah. He. Um, <laughs> yeah. He. That was. I just remember that was the, that state final. There was a few good. There was a few. There was some good guys in there. Like I think uh, Crookshank was in that. John Crookshank. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Hing was in that final. And then yeah, it was all that thing where I was like, I knew I wasn't really going to win. I wasn't. I was much greener than those guys. Uh, but then. Heggy came out and it was just like, oh yeah, this guy's won it. It was, <laughs> it was an exceptional set for real. For real. And then he told me a couple of years later, yeah, that was my fourth gig. Like, you dickhead. Um, when you were starting out and you you got into it, did you invite many mates from the police to come and watch, or did you keep it on the download? That oh, you were it was doing? on the download. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I um, I used to. I literally had two mates that my cousin and an, and another mate that was into comedy, and we'd go. When he, that guy, one of the guys was a guy I'd worked with who um, him and I used to, we, he was one of the guys I'd go to the Exford with when we were down in Melbourne. Yeah. So he was into stand up comedy. So before we even worked out, like I even decided I was going to do it, we started to go see comedy a bit in mm-hmm. Sydney. So there were the two blokes I'd go with. And then I said to them, I'm going to do this. They're like, all right. And <laughs> yeah. it's funny because my mate, John, his name is, he was a great guy. But. His pep talk to me before my first ever set <laughs> was this. He goes, look, stand-up comedy is really hard. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've worked very hard on your set, but 
people probably aren't going to laugh. <laughs> you just got to get through it, all right? And I was like, thanks. This is right before I go on for the first <laughs> yeah. time. It's like, people aren't going to laugh. I don't know if this is the pep talk I needed at this no. point. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellier and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Uh, so, you, you, you keep doing the police work for a little bit after that. Yep. You're doing your gigs around town. You're sort of making your way in the Sydney scene. Uh, then you're throwing a bit of a curveball, some terrible news. Your son is diagnosed with leukaemia. Uh, how old was he when that when that happened? Uh, he was diagnosed three days after his fourth birthday. Bloody so hell. He is my youngest boy, so yeah. I've, got, I've got two boys. Mm. My, my oldest boy was, he must have been almost six at the time. And, um, yeah, it was it was an interesting thing. We'd, we'd been away just for a midweek, went away to a mate's wedding. Um, and my my mum and my mum had come down to look after the kids for the couple of days we were away, and then we we got back, and uh, the night we got back, he was complaining that his bum hurt. Mm-hmm. So we sort of gave him some Panadol in the middle of the night, and then the next morning, we take uh, our oldest boy off to school. He was in kindergarten, so he goes off to school, and um, the younger bloke was still he's still complaining that his his bum hurt, and he was mm-hmm. real whingy. And I thought he might have been constipated, so I, I took him to the chemist. But on the way, I rang my mum. I said, Is he? she goes, no, 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 I wiped his bum twice yesterday. Mm. He's, he's, he shouldn't be um, constipated. So get to the chemist. By then, he's starting to get real upset. Mm-hmm. The chemist says, look, I, he's probably constipated, but best take him to the GP. So I took him up to the GP. By the time we get to the GP, he's absolutely inconsolable. The GP goes, look, there's obviously something going on here. I don't mm. know what it is. He's running a fever. He's... Yeah, he's got this pain. Take him up to the hospital. So in the hospital, give him some Panadol and stuff, calm him down. But he's not by this stage. He's not really bearing weight on his legs. Okay. Um, and it was real odd. And so then there was they didn't know what was going on uh, essentially, um, because they dosed him up with Panadol and whatever, and he'd seemed reasonably good. He could move around and he'd, he'd be all right. And then um, so a few days in there, lots and lots of tests for mm. lots and lots of different things, and uh, eventually. He, the doctor um, pulls aside and said, yeah, look, um, what's happened is they've found, um, I got them to rescreen one of the blood tests, they've found blasts on the film, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, indicative of leukaemia. Um, basically, leukaemia is the white blood cells mm-hmm. are malformed or there's the, the cancer is in the white blood cells. Yeah, so what, what the pain was, they think, was his, um, your bone marrow is um, where you where your white blood cells and all that sort of stuff is uh, produced is uh, one of the places it's produced in the back of the hips. Right. So he, being four, didn't have the language for mm-hmm. my, you know, the top yeah. of my head, this bone here. Yeah. And so he, um, yeah, and so that was what they thought the pain was. So, yeah, that that uh, basically put us down to uh, 
that yeah, that was that was yeah. a, a rough time. We had two years of treatment all up, and mm. he's doing good now though. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's fighting fit. Um, yeah. When when you get yeah you know, news like that, does, does everything just stop? Does, do you just don't think about anything else? Like you obviously a lot of parents go through it, and it's a horrible thing. But what were you feeling at the time? Like, do you just? It was it was interesting. Like I. I don't know how much I was processing at the time. Mm. Like you go from the way I described it to to some people I was talking to about it a little while ago is basically you go from your world is broad. You got you know you think about weekend sport. You're thinking about um, you know with the kids. You're thinking about all, like gigs. You're thinking mm. about work. You're thinking about all the different things that you're doing. How you know okay what what what's my next festival show going to be? All that sort of stuff. And so you've got a re- your world goes from a real wide screen to just very focused on mm. one thing your world becomes very small and it's all about this one thing which you learn i mean in the immediate treatment period that's sort of that's just how you sort of survive but mm. with leukemia like there's basically six to six to seven months of very intense treatment and mm-hmm. then what they call maintenance therapy for so you know um oral leukemia and the okay. occasional you know going for a procedure and that sort of stuff for 18 months following that so mm. That that having that hyper focus on just the one thing, that's not maintainable over a two year period. So you got to sort of learn to yeah yeah make sure that you're getting outlets outside of that. You're still living low, and mm. it's not fair on either of the kids if the whole world's just about the mm. treatment. You still got to go on and have as best you can normal family life. Yeah, and, and you kept gigging through that time. You kept doing stand up. I did. I kept. I. Early on, I'd canned a bunch of gigs. Mm. I remember the week. Actually, the comedy saw really good to me. I'd had I was, the week he got diagnosed. I was, um, I was, I, I think I was doing six nights straight at the store, and uh, I just I rang Liz at the time and said, um, "Look, this is. I was supposed to be doing one that night. And mm. I said this is super late, but this is what's happened." Yeah, and she was like, "That's fine." Um, she said, "Tell me, you know, whenever you want a gig, if you want a gig, just to get mm. your head out of things, just." Mm. Let me know, and so yeah, they used to the the comedy, um, the, all the comedy rooms, the comedy community were really helpful in yeah. that sense. Everyone was pretty supportive. So yeah, it's, it, w- w- the comedy community of Australia is quite good when someone needs a bit of a hand. They they'll yeah bend, everyone bend over in. backwards and dig in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was it was yeah it was a it was an interesting curveball. But once again, like you sort of get through it. Mm. You know, yeah. Imagine it would have been hard to be funny. During that, mate, to, I got or to even think about things that are funny. I got so like I, I just didn't, you know, you need that headspace to write, mm. like to, to to have your funny observations and to just to notice shit that you can make funny. I just I wasn't writing a lot, but I got to the point where I was. I really gigging helped. Like I just when I go, that was the time if I was on stage, I wasn't thinking about it. Mm. So I used to, I'd still like to gig just for my insanity, but they got to a certain point where I. had got so bored with my own material because I hadn't written anything new mm. that I was just – I would literally go on stage and go, all right, I'll do some crowd work and just see how far into this 10 minutes I can get before I actually have to tell a joke. I'll yeah, just see. right. And so I got, I got my crowd work improved incredibly <laughs> in the time. It really – It's interesting. It really did just because I was so – the last thing I wanted to do was tell one of my own oh, – one yeah. joke I'd written that I'd said too many times. times yeah, that's interesting. So around that time, you kind of you, you know he he gets the all clear uh, after a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah, he basically he was they track it through the treatment. He was mm. pretty. We had a couple of little setbacks, but he's 
once he was in maintenance, he was doing pretty well. Mm. Um, you know, start school. When he started school, he was four days a week, that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, then gradually everything got back to more yeah. normal sort of a life. That's great. Also through that period, that tough period in your life, uh, around 2014, 2015, mm. you started doing warm-up uh, on a Foxtel show, the Matty John show. Yep. Yeah, right. So, so how did that come about? So um, probably a mutual friend of ours, Ray Badrin, who's mm-hmm. um, kicking ass over in London <laughs> at the moment. Uh, he, um, he was doing warm-up there. He was, uh, he was doing warm-up but was getting busier and busier with his stand-up and mm. so realised he needed someone else to fill in when he couldn't do it and sort of share it. And he just said to me, I think, he goes, I reckon you'd be good at this. Why don't you come along and he goes, you know, next, next season – he goes, we can just basically split it mm. so that, you know, we both, he said, it's, it's all right, a bit of cash coming in. And so I started to do that. And as he got busier and busier, I ended up pretty much just doing all of it because he wasn't really available, <laughs> um, which was really good. And uh, yeah, so that I was doing that with, uh, I think the first show was called Monday Nights with Maddie Johns, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, it was a good, fun show. I, I kind of, I really liked it because they go live. It was, wasn't a long chunk out of the night. Like yeah. That. I'd imagine that because you would have to get in there bef- with the crowd, the live crowd, before the show yep. goes to air and get them in a laughy mood. Yeah. Uh, I'd imagine that'd be a tough at times. There'd be a tough job to try and get or, – or are they coming in in a good mood anyway so they're up and about? Uh, it it depends. Like it's, it's like anything like that. It's some weeks and it depends on different stage of the season. When it's exciting, start of the season, everyone's excited for the new <laughs> season. Everyone, yeah. They come in, they're excited. And it's it's much easier, um, but then you know there's there's times where there's less keen audiences. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember doing it's like I, I worked on a show there. So from that, I started working on a few other shows. I worked on this show called The Other Rugby Show, which is a good show. But they used to tape on a Tuesday, like at lunchtime. Oh, and yeah. I don't know what you know. It was a rugby union show, so I don't know what you know about rugby union people, but they have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just it was brutal. It was the same eight people that had turned up every week for free pizza and that are free in the middle of the week, and it was just. I mean, and you, like anything, you sort of learn to deal yeah. with it. Yeah. G'day, up. John. How are you this week? <laughs> yeah. <mate? laughs> and you would make fun. And if there was new people, it was so exciting because yeah. I'd just get to introduce them to everyone I knew. <laughs> They were there every week. What are you doing here? Yeah. Where, where did you come from? Um, during your time doing the warm-up, you meet uh, James Rochford, aka yes. the professor, and you start working a little little bit with him on on his new shows. Uh, you start doing some infomercial sort of NRL store, yeah, uh, kind of like parody selling funny objects on there. So you're now on screen. Yep. So you went from warm-up. Now uh, you start doing a bit of writing. And then you move to the screen. How, how did you go with that transition now being in front of the camera as opposed to just warming up the crowd? It was, at first it was like very, like I was obviously nervous. Yeah. You go on screen. But the I think I was lucky in that I think the first, the first little on-screen thing I did was, it was a very solid premise. Like we were very confident in mm. the idea we knew at that point because I'd been writing for the show for a while and appeared in little sketches and stuff like that, but not really anything where I was yeah straight down the barrel straight down the barrel yeah and um so we knew I think the first one must have been was when Cameron Smith got 
sin binned. <laughs> yeah. And so we put out a commemorative lithograph. <laughs> of, um, we called it the miracle on grass. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that, so because we were confident and we'd written it like, so there was, it, I knew there was gags in there. So I was just like, okay, if I can deliver this, this will be fine because the concept was so strong. And the, you know the audience in there are going to love just the fact that we're putting out, <laughs> like just the fact we're putting out the lithograph of that <laughs> incident will... Um, will excite the people in the room. So yeah. that was but then as it went on and some weeks we were like, well what are we they just say to me, what are you doing for the NRL store? What have we got an idea for the NRL store? What are you So that was totally left up to you weekly. Well, it wasn't totally left up to me. Like we'd throw ideas around, but then mm. I'd end up writing a lot of the copy yeah. because it got to the point where that was the two minutes of the show James didn't have to write. Okay. <laughs> like on his own. <laughs> so I'd basically write a lot of it and then but I'd the way we do it, we'd sort of brainstorm the idea and then we bounce around the jokes. I'd work it into a rough script and then I'd shoot it to him um, and he'd go, okay, we'd, we'd edit it down together mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Cause, and that was learning. I learned a lot in that period about how, the difference between writing for jokes for stand-up type mm-hmm. thing and writing for TV type jokes yeah. is completely different. different yeah, yeah. You've got to be much more visual yeah. in the... In the um, in the TV, and so you don't need to say as much necessarily mm. as well. So it taught me a lot about brevity in my scripts, mm-hmm. and then using the visual stuff. Like, yeah. okay, if you're going to talk about this, why don't you put a picture up of that? Or yes. do we have footage of that? Do we have? And it's just starting to think that different way. So I wouldn't say I wrote all those in any way on my own, but we we basically get the basic idea. I'd work out a rough script. And then James and I would go through and he'd, especially early on, just, okay, you don't need this. this <laughs> yeah. Why, well, well, you know, that's not necessarily, you know. And yeah. he'd be like, am I breaking your heart? And I'd just be like, I don't care as long as whatever goes on screen is funny. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, that's the other thing too is I, because he'd worked in TV for so long, I sort of trusted his judgment, which is a nice thing. You can trust the, his judgment to go, okay, he knows what, what will and won't work. Mm. So, he's not going to throw you up the river. Uh, like, yeah. So, and he so, wants the show to be good. Exactly, so. yeah. And did, did you find that, like stand up, as time goes on, your confidence grows when you're doing things live, and you're writing, yeah. you know, you're writing that it all grows, and you become, you really know what you're looking for, yes, and what what the crowd likes. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's exactly like that. Like you just like anything, the practice makes perfect. So mm. the more you're doing it, the more comfortable I got. So that, yeah, I basically had that segment for uh, for all of last season or for that season and yeah. then um at the end of that season fox picked up the right to cricket mm. and nice. so yeah nice it was timing yeah yeah it was excellent right timing. as you were in there so and did you uh you'd stop working for the police uh around that time or previous to that yeah i'd stopped working for the police a bit before that yeah um, even towards the end i'd mate i was doing part-time for mm. a good for four or five years yeah so i wasn't like people say, "Oh, you're you're a cop." I was like, "Yeah, I'm not much of a cop." Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that you did the arts degree uh, post school, and then you went for the life experience with the police force. You know, mm. you, you, then you start doing stand up, which is a great time to start late twenties because you've had a bit of life experience, you've seen some things. Yeah, you've got. But stuff then full to say. circle, you've now remember you were saying when you did your, your media course and your, your arts, you didn't think you had anything to say. Now, all those years later, you're back in and you're in front of the camera Yeah, telly. It's quite interesting, the full circle it came and it just naturally has, has no, turned out that way. No, it certainly wasn't a plan. <laughs> like, it's funny because um, 
I think Cam Knight said to me one time, I know it's on air, he goes, you've done what every warm-up comedian thinks they're going to do when they start doing warm-up. You've gone from doing warm-up to being on the show. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I just, But I, when I started doing warm-up, I never had any intention of mm. that happening. I thought, oh, maybe I can do a bit of writing here and get some write, get yeah. some jokes on and learn some stuff. But that's probably a good a good um, you know, outlook to have where if you went in there just gunning to be on TV, you'd probably turn a few people away. Yeah. A few people were like, this guy's a bit too keen, where you just went in, did your time, learnt the ropes. Well, that's that's the thing. I think part of it is knowing, like, and part of it being a little bit older, especially when mm. I started, and a little bit uh, older again, and having a bit more life experience by that stage. Is I was very aware of what I didn't know. Mm, right. um, so you know, I, I went in going, okay, I don't know how this works, how they put this together. So I was curious. So I started by a lot of the time asking questions, and then you know, sort of, oh, okay, how does that work, or what you know? Why'd you do that? Or and so then early on, like I'd I'd send jokes to James for when he was doing this is before he had the his own show when he was doing stuff for Matt. I'd send ideas for when he was producing Fletch and Hindy or yeah. whatever, and you just none of it got on air. <laughs> I look at it, but I look at it now and go, I know exactly why. Right, it, was, right. yeah. it was not the right. T- it wasn't TV jokes. Yeah. So, but I think the just that. Going okay. I'm gonna just keep just having that thing where you go. Oh, I'm not gonna have pride in, you know. Oh, and throw you know throw the toys out of the cot. They're not using any of my stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna stop. I just went okay. Okay. Obviously, I need to learn something here. So I just kept yeah. kept talking, kept throwing you know ideas out there, and just being aware of okay. Just because I thought of a premise didn't or a funny idea didn't necessarily mean I knew how to turn that into TV. Mm. And so. You'd sort of throw it out and just let let them turn it into TV. Yeah, and that 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 cutthroat side of it is a part of it, isn't it? You learn that pretty much straight away that you just yeah. need to cop that on the chin and move on. Doesn't yeah. mean they hate you. It just means it's not working at that time. Yeah, go again. Exactly, and that's that's the thing. Like, you'd, okay, this idea didn't work today, so mm. don't worry about it. It's yeah. just an idea. It's not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this year, twenty. Well, let's say. The end of last year, 2018 summer, the cricket summer, Fox, as you say, Foxtel took over cricket. Yep. Uh, you do uh, the Night Watchman with yes. the Professor, where you are co-host, yeah. front and centre. First time you co-host on a TV show on mm. Foxtel. You get to meet Warney, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, I watched that episode. That was, yeah, that was. Was a that cool. a nice little buzz? That was. Not only co-hosting, but also having Warney on the show. Yeah, and I got... Shane uh, Warne, that is, the great Australian cricketer. I got a good joke away with him, oh, did you? which I was very excited about, <laughs> um, which I just sort of... It was one of those ones where you like, I thought of it in the moment and then he laughed and I was like, this is the greatest. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was bizarre. Like, I think if you watch the first episode, we had Darren Lehman on, or even the pilot, if you dig up the pilot, you can see me <laughs> quietly shitting myself and not knowing... <laughs> What I'm doing, and I said I was talking to you before we started recording. How I used to, when I especially when I first started, you just like I'd be, oh my, what's next in the rundown? So I'd like the guest would be talking, and I'd be looking to see what I had to say. <laughs> like you know, oh, what topic am I out? Do I have a question next, or is it James, or do I bring something up? And then, mm. so yeah, I think as it went on, I learned to relax more. But that was a pretty surreal um, <laughs> thing, and it was a it was. Very, because I was like growing up. I like I liked my rugby league, but we didn't have access to it. Mm. Um, I liked uh, Aussie Rules, but summer I just loved like 
cricket was just <laughs> that's all I did all Christmas holidays. Ride to a mate's place, play cricket all day, or ride to another play cricket for the morning. Ride to another mate's place, play <laughs> cricket there. Like we just played so much cricket. And I loved cricket mm. so much. It was and this and, would have been Warney peak time, wouldn't it? Oh, like yeah. early early nineties to mid nineties to late nineties. Yep. Uh, were you tape? Did you tape the ball up to get a bit extra swing back in those days, mate? You know what we used to do? We used to do that. But it's funny you were talking about you interviewed Merv Hughes, yeah. right? Very jealous. Uh, <laughs> he, I don't know if you remember, he used to have uh, a ball called the Incredi Ball, yeah, that he endorsed. <laughs> And uh, and I still remember on the package it said it's like a real ball but a hell of a lot safer yeah. and it was spelt H E L L U V A hell of a <laughs> anyway he um so we used my brother and I used to get one of those for Christmas every year between oh. us we used to make sure we got one of those excellent and so and then that but that was it you had to look after that ball because yeah. we weren't getting another one till next Christmas. <laughs> I mean, and and look, it's in fairness to mum and dad, that was a fifteen dollar item. So, <laughs> it's a big outlay. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. Um, then twenty nineteen, you you do the summer into twenty nineteen, the cricket yep. show, and then this year, the professor's late hit yep. is on uh, for rugby league throughout the rugby league season, which is March to October, and you're the co-host on that as well. Yeah, get the call up uh, off the back of the. The cricket show. The cricket show. They obviously like what they've seen of, of Barney in front of the camera for yeah. a long period of time. It was it was one of those ones. The cricket show went well. I think we'd stumbled on a format that we could use well for the rugby league because mm-hmm. we'd try and reinvent a bit and improve every year. And we just realised that the format we'd used for the, for the cricket where we get these players that had a history – and plenty of stories to talk about, and we'd be able to dig up lots of footage and talk to them <laughs> yeah. about it. That's that's a really good f- format to build your show around. Yeah. And so that's where we decided this year. Okay, well we can mimic that. With there, there were some budget changes and all that sort of stuff coming into coming into um, the year. So they decided, you know, okay, we're going to simplify the show a bit. So we, yeah, it was James, me, and then uh, we had Hindy as our, uh, yeah, our resident Nathan, expert. Yeah, Nathan Hindmarsh, yes, former wizard. excellent rugby league player. Uh, you met some pretty excellent former rugby league players on the show as well. Yep. One I want to bring up because you loved the origin, early 90s, mm-hmm. out there in Corowa, Laurie Daly. Laurie Daly, the world's nicest man. Is he? Oh, That's mate, nice to hear, he isn't is it? He's lovely. Oh, she hooked uh, Mickey D. A former guest of the podcast, yeah. <laughs> Mickey D, up with a a, um, a gig. The Laurie just—I was sitting in the makeup chair one night, and uh, I said, "Because Laurie does, I do a segment. James and I do a segment on Maddie Johns on Sunday nights, mm-hmm. and Laurie does the segment directly after us, so we see each other a bit." And he goes, he just comes in, and he he goes, "Oh, Andrew, I, I need a comedian for this for some luncheon." Yeah, and he, he knew, named the date, and I happened to know. I think Mickey was in town. And Mickey's what I call um, the ultimate all-terrain comic. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, he's just that sort of a bloke. You throw him in any throw environment, him in he'll there. do fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I just went, you know, I've got a bloke for you. I'll put you in touch with his name's Mickey. He's from Adelaide, yada, yada, yada. And, um, yeah, I think they've done a bunch of gigs together. He came in raving about it. Oh, great. And they shared a cab together to the airport <laughs> after the gig and, uh, and yeah, basically told each other dirty jokes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's, Laurie, is, Laurie is the guy you'd want him to mm. be. He's just a lovely, yeah. lovely man. What a spin out to be sitting in Corowa in the mid-90s watching 
origin. Oh. And this Laurie Daly, this guy, just dominate Queensland and, and be a, an idol for people. Then fast forward many years later and you're working on a TV show with him. <laughs> it is. It's absolutely bizarre. When you, like... I, th- yeah, when you look back at some of the, and some of the blokes you meet and that sort of stuff, it's like, I remember you when I was like, <laughs> yeah. you were, and then, and you know, like, like Laurie, Laurie didn't disappoint in terms yeah. of he's just the nice, just a really <laughs> nice man, um, really good bloke. And uh, yeah, it's, it does blow my mind sometimes. Uh, yeah. Is it, is it uh, weird to see that maybe you're bigger than some of them? And because when you're a kid, you look at, they look like, you know, giants on the TV screen, and then you see them in real life, you're like, oh. That still freaks me out. <laughs> like, some of the guys you met, and you go, oh, yeah, okay, I saw you cut down some massive men, and yeah. you're not that big. Yeah. I'd still, it's crazy. There was a point in the season where I think we, we bumped into, within a couple of days, we bumped into Sam Burgess and Luke Keary. Mm-hmm. And I think they were playing each other, playing against each other the, the week after. And the, they're two men. Like, Sam Burgess is a giant human being. <laughs> giant, human, like, just strong, big, and looks like you just wouldn't mess with him. Luke <laughs> Keary is tiny. Really? Like, not tiny, normal human beings. But you just look and go, I can't believe these guys play the same come, sport. Yeah, right. and come up against each other. Come up against each other. <laughs> and and it gives you the admir- admiration for guys like Kiri or a guy like... Um, uh, Jimmy Maloney. Yeah. Jimmy Maloney has so much... Like, he's another guy. He's not a big guy, but just... Mm. And not scared. Just throw <laughs> like, their body in front of them, yeah. And, they, I, and these guys are running at them. Yeah, they're targeting those guys. Yeah, exactly. Because if, you know, if you're Sam Burgess, who are you going to pick to run at the line? <laughs> yeah. the, the biggest bloke on there? Well, Sam probably would. But, yeah, <laughs> but yeah some of them, you just go, they, they're not as big as you think they're going to be. Mm. Like, James Graham. James Graham's a big guy, but he's not... Overly massive, yeah. just so much. You just look and go, oh, I don't like. Yeah. I'd be terrified running mm. up against Sam Burgess. I don't know how a Jimmy Maloney or yeah. a, you know Luke Keary. It's it's technique and madness is that what sets them apart. I think I yeah. I knew a lot of good footy players growing up and played against a few guys, a couple of guys that went to play NRL, and their difference was that they had there's something in the brain that is just a little bit mad. And that no fear factor. Yeah, they, that's a massive part of it. Like you could have all the skill in the world, but you, unless you've got that little bit of madness, yeah. you're just willing to it doesn't throw your body to them in. That yeah. They're going to get yeah. killed. Yeah, like yeah. it would to you or I. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're sitting here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On a couch, on a comedy podcast. <laughs> uh, so you, you're going around again for the Night Watchman this this yes, summer. Yes, we'll be back on the 20th of December. Oh, that's exciting! Um, so I think our first four episodes will be airing on Friday nights after the Big Bash game, right. and then the last four I think will be Saturday nights after the Big Bash game, just because right. uh, I think those those last we we move around a bit in some, but mm. it doesn't matter as much no. for people to find us. It's, it's um, good. I'll be keeping an eye out for it. And then in 2020, is there is it all in the makings for the uh, the professor late here, or, or a different name, obviously, but another show. We uh, we will be back. Um, we're looking to maybe broaden uh, broaden into sort of more of an all sports okay thing. So, like for Fox League, there'll be a big dose of rugby league. 
Um, but we will also chat about some other sports as well. Make yeah, fun nice. Of whatever else is going on. <laughs> and we might be doing something for Fox Footy as well, which would be good. Oh, yeah? Just get into the AFL, and yeah. which is fun because we, we both like the AFL, obviously, during the leagues. Like, I think there's a lot of people who think it's one or the other. Um, yeah. But I'd, I don't know about you. I like sport. Oh, yeah. I always... We, I always hoped it'll never happen, but I always hoped that AFL teams would affiliate with a rugby league team and do dual memberships and things, and yeah, you know, just just because they're they're the two top, you know, in this country, they're the yeah. two top. So why not consolidate that and get together and just you know, there's always going to be that war between the two. But if you just join forces and because I, I, all my mates love an AFL team and a rugby league team, everybody's got one of each. And that's, Watch both things. It's it's nothing wrong with that. There's know? actually a bit of with some of the clubs. There's a bit of interaction to in Melbourne especially. Yeah, yeah. a bit of interaction between yeah. the clubs. I think Cooper Cronk's just signed with to do some stuff with GWS. Yeah, yeah. So like there there is, I think we're getting closer to that. Mm. But maybe some of the hardcore fans we need to drag along a bit yeah. more. But I mean, there'll be yeah. It's personally, I think they're both. Great games. Yeah. Can, I don't see why you've got to really enjoy one over the other. Mm. Um, or, you know, you, you can maybe even if you have a favourite out of the two, it doesn't mean you can't watch the other yeah, and enjoy yeah. it. Oh, mate, this is a whole other podcast. We could talk about this for hours, <laughs> solve the, the codes problems. Um, mate, that's about all. What I'll, I'll plug all your social media in the, in the wrap-up that I no do. Worries. But, um, yeah, everybody keep an eye out for the uh, Night Watchman, yep. December 20, Foxtel. Foxtel. Keep an eye out. Uh, and in 2020, uh, the Professor's something. It'll be... Professor's something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might be the narrow world of sports. Yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah. That's, we've got a couple of working titles. Okay. Watch this space. On it. But we'll be back in... Uh, yeah, we'll be back over winter as well. So awesome. Can't get rid of us. That easy. <laughs> well, beauty. Thanks, uh, Andrew Barney Barnett. Thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. No worries. Thanks for having me. No worries. Hey, thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to get around Barney, you can get around him on Instagram and Twitter. He's at Mr. A Barnett. That's B-A-R-N-E-T-T. He's also got a Facebook page, Andrew Barnett, and he's got a website, andrewbarnettcomedy.com. So check out those. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends. If you listened on Apple Podcasts and you haven't subscribed yet, maybe subscribe or leave a little message or a comment or a rating. They'd be much appreciated. Also, uh, if you've got friends that might want to listen, you can steer them towards Apple Podcast or it's also on Spotify. And the podcast is also on my website, danielconnell.com.au. Uh, while you're on my website, uh, check out my gigs page. You've got a lot of upcoming shows. And I'm sort of gearing up towards the 2020 festival season in Australia with my new show, Cheers Biggies. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, if you're in a liking and following mood, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under Daniel Connell Comedy. And I'm also on Twitter at Daniel Connell three that'd be much appreciated if you got around those uh that is about it for this week so thanks very much and take it easy